with, uh, with a word of prayer. Uh, would you guys bow with me? God, thank you so much for today, Father, for a time to declare uh, the truth that the tomb is empty through worship songs. Father, to declare the truth, Father, to you, Lord, that we understand nothing is impossible for a God that can walk up out of a grave. <laughs> um, Father, I thank you that that is not only a past reality, but it can be a present reality. Father, I pray that as we wrestle through your word, the resurrected King, Father, would you have your way with us here in the present? Father, as we gear up soon for Easter, Lord, I pray for our Pray for One efforts, Lord, as we are loving and inviting our ones, Lord, would some of our ones that do not know you right now, Father, would you be doing a work in their lives that they might say yes to an invite to come to Easter, and Father, might they ultimately say yes to an invite for a relationship with the living God? Um, Father, would you do a work here and now as we prepare for that? Um, we love you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Uh, it was uh, maybe a year ago or so, maybe a year and a half ago, uh, I read the book uh, Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer. Uh, if you need a good kick in the pants uh, because you live a fast-paced life, highly recommend it. It's a good, it's a good kick in the pants. And uh, towards the end of the book, he gives this uh, suggestion on things that you could do uh, to live kind of like a rhythm of Sabbath throughout your life. And uh, one of the things he suggested was uh, if you take kind of the short route to work, uh, but it's a stressful road, uh, maybe a, a Sabbath ap a activity that you could do would be to take the road that's like three, four, five minutes longer, but it, it's, a, it's a more peaceful ride. And I was listening to that book while I was driving on Route 9. Uh, and uh, it takes me uh, all of 14 minutes to get from my house uh, to the church when I take Route 9. Uh, but if I take Bay View, Bay View, it is a more peaceful ride that takes me three additional minutes. And as the good New Jerseyan as I have become, at that point, three minutes was not worth the peace. <laughs> and so I was listening to this book, realizing that when I say Route 9 to a group of people from New Jersey, we are all like, that thing is a train wreck, and yet we still take it. <laughs> Beach, Beachwood, South Toms River. There's a little circle. <laughs> you, get off the, uh, you get off the highway, and you're coming south in your pink little car, uh, you're coming south and there's this little circle. Uh, at that little circle uh, is all the stress you could ever ask for on a New Jersey road uh, because there is this yield sign. Now, again, like the good New Jerseyans that we are, we don't actually know what it means to yield. We see that yield sign and we read merge. A merger, okay, is when you're traveling along, traveling along, traveling along, and it says left lane merge, you're supposed to kind of keep going with traffic, and the two lanes become one lane. Both have a relationship. Both have work to play in becoming one lane. When you see the yield sign, one car has the right of way. One car is supposed to pause and wait for an opening. 
But here at the traffic circle, we don't see the yield sign. And if you're from New Hampshire and you're a law-abiding citizen, as I am, I'm traveling thinking they're going to yield. I don't think that every New Jerseyan is going to merge and flick me off as they're doing it. Here's what it means to yield. Yield is in the dictionary. It is an actual word. It has two definitions, produce or provide. We yield something. We produce something. Farmers know this word well. Uh, and then what we mean in the traffic version is to give way to arguments, demands, or pressure. To give way to something else. You guys should take out your phones and uh, take a picture of this definition. Uh, not only because of traffic, but because we're going to play on this word for the rest of our time together. Why do we create mergers when God is asking us to yield? Why do we create mergers when God is asking us to yield? Is it not a lack of trust? Is it not when, when we take our focus all, that is on Jesus and put it on to the things of this world? Is it not when we take our focus that should and is on Jesus and we take it off and we put it on our own selves? It's hard to rest in Jesus when we've lost sight of Jesus. Today, I want us to understand our trustworthy God that from a position of being trustworthy is able then to command us to find and to take rest. Rest, trust, Yielding, that is the equation. The restful, find Jesus to be trustful. And so here's our definition of Sabbath that we have been working with. It's to cease. You could insert the word yield into that. Uh, to cease my efforts for a day and to persist in my relationship with God. The fact that Jesus is trustworthy is what enables him to make the command to us to rest in him. So we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 4. You guys can turn there uh, in your Bibles. It will also be on the screen. You could also just Google uh, Hebrews chapter 4 ESV and it will pop up on your phone. Google is magical. Uh, but in Hebrews chapter 3, before we get into it, Hebrews chapter 3 is going to talk and is talking a lot about the promised land. That's when uh, you have uh, Ben-Hur, whatever that guy's name was, that said, let my people go. Uh, Charleston Heston. And what was that, the old movie? I don't know, whatever. Uh, ask your grandma. And, uh, and so uh, that, like, let my people go. And you had the Egyptians, and they had enslaved the Israelites. And, uh, and so the Israelites are, are slaves. And, and then all of a sudden, Moses comes, and, and like, let my people go, and, and all that good stuff. And they, and they leave, and, and God makes a sidewalk through a sea, the Red Sea. And they, and they leave, and they go, and, and they're supposed to go to the promised land. For them, it's the land where God is their master and where Egypt has been their master and that's not been restful. With God as their master in their promised land, they're supposed to find rest. And on the way, they're supposed to learn to trust God. Remember that fire at night? <laughs> the clouds and the clouds by day with the, that looked like fire and then like, hey, hey, like the manna that Graham was talking about last week, like trust me to provide food for you. And then whenever they wouldn't trust God, what happened? You could follow their path. Like a lot of uh, historians have done that. You can Google it. It looks like a whole bunch of zigzags <laughs> because they wandered and they wandered and they wandered. There's this promise to you and I that when we trust God, we cease wandering 
and we find rest in him. That's what we are looking at today. In the Old Testament, what we see is that when you fail to obey, you fail to experience rest. And so this is a reminder and a warning. And so we pick it up in Hebrews chapter four, and it says this, therefore, everything we just talked about, while the promise of entering rest still stands, this is not something new. It's an ongoing thing. Let us fear, lest any of you should, uh, should seem to have failed to reach it. Canaan, that promised land was where you stopped wandering and you arrived and you found rest. But if you did not believe the promises of God, if you did not trust God, then you were left to wander. Trust and belief, don't they go hand in hand? Do you trust what you do not believe? No, those terms go hand in hand. Hand Those, those terms are synonymous with each other. When we do not believe God, we take our eyes off of God and put them onto the world and we do not find rest. This is where we find the anxieties of this world. What is the antidote to anxiety? Is it not trust? Where we have fears of this world, fears of this life, fears and fears and fears and fears. What, what will silence anxiety is growing in trust of the Savior. And there is something that we find not only important when it comes to anxiety, because anxiety has ruined a lot of Sabbath days, hasn't it? It's also foundational to Sabbath rest itself where we learn to pause and to trust God. But the passage says fear, doesn't it? Well, fear is, is, is not obeying God. Fear is wandering away from God. Fear is a healthy respect to be obedient and to see that there are dire consequences for a lack of faithfulness before God. There is this fear that I do not want to disobey God. I want to find rest. If we go back to the definition of yield, it is fear that I will not have yielded my life over to God because I want to find that place of rest. Misplaced fear, a lack of trust, anxiety, all have us trying to create mergers where God is calling us to yield. And so what I want us to walk away with today is three words, trust, yields, rest. As we leave this series, as we conclude this series, have those three words. Uh, let them go here to here. Trust yields rest. And so what we're going to see in these following few verses is simply this. Three ways for you and I to yield trust to God and to find rest in that. The first one is this. Yield through faith. For good news came to us just as to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by what? Faith. Trust this belief uh, with those who had listened. So God, since creation, has been a God of rest. He, he created in six days. Remember Pastor Graham talking about that? And then what did he do on the seventh day? He ingrained into the fabric of humanity that he is a God of rest, both in the here and the now, but also for all of eternity. And so we know this, what Graham said last week about God creating the, day, uh, the earth in seven days and the, sixth, and the seventh day being rest, that wasn't like a huge newsflash to all of us. But head knowledge doesn't always lead to a life of rest, does it? Many of us here understand the gospel. We grew up good Catholics. We grew up good Protestants. We grew up good whatever religious people. We could articulate the gospel. But has it moved from here to here, playing out here? 
the only appropriate way to respond to this truth that we know is, is through faith. Here's the simple equation. Hearing plus believing leads to resting. Hearing plus believing equals resting. You ignore the formula and you will be living a life of wandering when you disregard that you do not find rest. We can be united in the truth of a a God that provides us rest. This this past week, I mentioned this to you guys a few weeks ago that this was upcoming for me. I hung out with a a bunch of pastors in Minnesota. Um, It was a wild time. And uh, on my way, I left Philly, uh, city of brotherly love. Uh, They travel like that too. They drive just like that. And uh, and so I left early in the morning and uh, and it was raining. And uh, I, I got to my seat and I found something out that I never knew was possible. Did you know uh, that you can uh, have a window seat without a window on an airplane? Um, I, didn't, I didn't know that, and so I took a picture to prove it to you all. Uh, this, was my, this was my window seat. Uh, very, like, very literally, I'm leaving Philadelphia uh, on my window seat uh, with no window. And, uh, and so that was a blast. Uh, and, uh, and so there were, we, we leave, and, uh, and the guy next to me starts sleeping, literally snoring. And like, like the type of snoring, though, that's like... Like, and all of a sudden, like, he'd, like, wake himself up, and it'd be like, <laughs> like, oh, and then he goes back to sleep and, like, does it all over again. It's like, dude. Anyways, uh, so I don't even, that has nothing to do with anything in this illustration. But, uh, and so I put on my worship music. I'm listening to music and whatnot, playing guitar on my phone, just kind of killing the time as I go uh, to Midway in Chicago for a layover. And uh, I realized as, we're, as I, I hear the, the wheels come down, uh, I, there was kind of a window that I could see a little bit in front of me and I could see, obviously see on the other side of the plane. And I realized in that moment that the entire time that we had been flying, uh, uh, we were in a cloud. We never once, uh, to my knowledge, went above the clouds. We were traveling in the clouds. Uh, and it, and it kind of just hit me uh, because um, I've not been to doctor plane school. I don't know uh, how uh, all that works in like aerodynamics and aerospace. Uh, did, we, I don't, did we touch space? I don't know. You can ask Jillian. Uh, but uh, like I, I don't know how any of that works. And in that moment, I was like, if, if I was in a situation where I had to land this plane, like maybe like one in a million shot that the people in the tower could see like, Jason, do this. Jason, push this. Jason, do this. And I might like, maybe I might be able to land the plane. Probably not, right? The chances are slim to none, but they go to zero when I realize I would be flying blind. It was in that moment that I realized that I was in a cloud, that I was trusting the pilot to not land us into the Great Lakes. And it was in that moment as I realized that we were flying blind, that I was trusting a pilot not to land us in the middle of downtown Chicago. As I was flying blind, as we were flying blind, I literally got onto the plane and exercised faith that the pilot who had the understanding of how to fly blind could indeed land the plane. No one in that plane felt like it was an illustration of faith, but that's exactly what it was. I don't understand how the pilot landed us, but I had enough faith to say that he could. You and I, faith will require us to put faith in what we do not understand. You and I, as we read through scriptures on day one of our salvation journey and on day 4,004, whatever it is, you and I will not fully understand God on planet earth because he is God. A God small enough for you and I to understand is not big enough to handle the situations that we find ourselves in on planet earth. And so this God will require us 
to place faith in what we do not understand. I don't understand how God can forgive me of all my wrong, but I have faith he does. And so when it comes time to stop being embittered towards other people, I will yield my spirit to him and pursue a spirit of forgiveness. I don't understand how God has a cattle on a thousand hills as to say in the scriptures that God owns it all, that God is wealthy beyond wealth, that God can, that can take my finances and provide for me what I cannot provide. I do not understand that, but when it comes time to give God control of my finances, I will yield my finances over to him. And when it comes to Sabbath, I do not understand how my father has an intimate knowledge, an intimate involvement in each of his children's lives as if they were the only one on earth. I trust it. And so I will yield a day of Sabbath rest over to him. We yield through faith. The second thing that we will do is that we will yield with urgency. It says this, the author of Hebrews says this, for he who has believed entered that rest. As he said, as I swore to uh, in my wrath that they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has uh, somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all of his works. And again, in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest rest since therefore uh, it remains for some to enter to in, enter it and those who formerly received the good news fail to enter because of disobedience and again he appoints a certain day today saying through david so long afterwards uh, in the words already quoted today if you hear his voice do not harden your hearts for if joshua has, has given them rest god would not have spoken of another day later on so then it remains a Sabbath rest for people of God, uh, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. In Psalm, uh, I'm sorry, in Hebrews chapter 3 and Hebrews chapter 4, they, the author will quote uh, Psalm 95. And because the author does this twice, all the commentaries said the same thing. This is to communicate urgency. That this is to communicate that, that, the, that the people of old, the Israelites, wandered because they failed to trust the promises of God and that that is a truth that can still play out in today. When we don't trust the promises of God, we fail to find rest. Joshua would lead them to a physical land of rest. But what the psalmist is saying is that one greater is coming and has come that offers even greater rest. The Son of God, Jesus Christ, and the only way to access him is through faith that he died, took all of our sin, and we don't need to fear the grave because we, have, we serve a God of resurrection that conquered the grave. We have faith in Jesus. We come to him with a sense of urgency, and we find rest in the here and the now. Because there are some who trust and believe and find rest here and forevermore. And there are others, as the passage alludes to and says pretty clearly, that do not trust and they perish in the wilderness. To reject the promises of God as we find in the gospel is to die in the wilderness. It is never too late until it is. The best time to say yes to Jesus is now. Now is always 
a good time. So as I thought about this passage and, and, and trusting God and urgency, I, I thought of Psalm 23 that talks about having a seat at the table with God Almighty in the presence, do you catch this, in the presence of your enemies. That to me, that is a posture of urgency while being at the table. Let me illustrate it like this. Ava, can you come sit here for a, a hot second? Uh, the, the, Ava and I have had kind of our own choice. I went uh, and I hiked uh, Mount Everest in Virginia uh, for a few days, and uh, it felt like that. And uh, and so I, I, I so I did that. Then my parents were in town. My mom was in town, and grandmother were in town. Uh, and then they left, and then I went to uh, Minnesota for a few days, and then I landed, came back, and Ava was like, peace out. Uh, I've had the kids. Uh, I'm going to New York City. Uh, and so she went to New York City, uh, and she got back last night. And, uh, and so uh, here we are. Uh, Ava and I haven't had a date night in, like, uh, many moons. Uh, and, and so, like, we both, like, we both feel it. We both know it. Like, we both need to, like, just go out and not be with kids. We love our kids so much. Uh, but we just need to go out and not be uh, with our kids. Now, now, we both realize this. We acknowledge this. If I come to the, the date table, well, there is a sense of urgency as I approach the table, isn't there? When, it, when it's been missing for so long, there's this, there's this reminder of what used to be when we used to come to the table and it didn't matter what was going on, I was locked in on, on my Ava. And, and now as we, many moons later, uh, come to the same date table, let's say like five days from now, I'm able to sit down with Ava at MJ's at our home in Bayville. I'm not going to enter the table and play on my cell phone. That wouldn't be a state of urgency. I'm not going to come to the date table and position myself to see the TV uh, because there's going to be a big sports game on the TV. To come to the table with a state, in a state of urgency is to remain locked in on the most important thing at the table. You and I are invited with a sense of urgency to come to the table with our Savior in the middle of our enemies, the noise of family, the noise of jobs, the noise of what hasn't become of our lives, the, the noise of work, the noise, the noise, the noise, the noise. All, some of those are good things, but all seems to fade away when you're locked in on what is most important. The loudest thing in my life at that table is, in this example, my wife, but in the greater example is the Son of God. And all that noise seems to fade away as we continue in a state of urgency to be locked in on our Savior. Ava, thank you uh, so much. Hopefully we get a date soon. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) The most urgent voice in our lives, both at the start and in the continuation of our faith, must be the voice of God. Have you taken a seat at the table? And do you continue to give Jesus the most urgent voice at the table? Now is always the right time to follow Jesus. Thirdly, we will yield to the word. Uh, Trust yields rest. We're going to yield through faith with urgency and to the word. It says, and this is a passage that we read earlier in the worship set. Many of us, if we've grown up in the church, we've heard this passage. But have you ever read it in the context of Sabbath rest? (laughs) Let us not therefore strive, uh, let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one uh, may fail by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is alive, is living, active, and sharper than any double-edged sword. It's piercing uh, the division of the soul and of spirit and of joints and of marrow and discerning the thoughts, the intentions, the heart. 
and no creature is hidden. You cannot hide from God, from his sight, but are all naked, exposed to the eyes of, of who, him to whom we must give account. Let's make every effort to enter into rest. Doesn't that seem counterintuitive? Like, make, do all this work, create margin, if you will, in your life to make rest a possibility in your life. We strive, and as we strive, we find out the futility of striving, and we find Jesus who accomplished everything that we cannot and have not accomplished. It is when I choose to take Sabbath that I remember that this life, this world, my salvation, eternity does not rest on my shoulders. It rests on the shoulders of the one who accomplished it all. And so the word of God is, is mentioned to us as a reminder to remain steadfast and to persevere in truth. The word of God is living and active. This is not a dead book. The word of God became flesh, as John says, as God, my, the son of God lives. His word lives. It's all the Bible. You can forget society. This is always relevant. It always should have a place in our lives. It is living as my savior lives. And what is it supposed to do? It talks about penetrating our souls like a double-edged sword. There was a very specific type of weapon used in the Greek as the writer was writing. For you and I, we would see this as something like a scalpel. Something that would create a surgical and, 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 and uh, deep cut in our lives. You know what it's not mentioned as? The double-edged sword is not mentioned as a baseball bat. Some blunt object. But that's how we handle this, isn't it? The word of God is like a baseball bat just beating people over the head. No. The word of God is meant to be a scalpel in our lives doing spiritual surgery on first us. And when I come to Sabbath, I see all that is true of my God and strive to all, be all that is yet to be true in my own life. I want what's true of the Savior to be true of me. I want to grow in Christ's likeness. And so as the character of God is revealed, it is showing me what I need to work on. I see it and I embrace it because one day how I handle Sabbath and how I handle life will all be before the king. This past Monday, uh, I flew out on Tuesday and so we kind of had, Ava and I had this one day uh, to, to maintain our, our habit of, of waking up early, getting coffee and doing our devotions and whatnot. Uh, but as any married couple that has had like a few weeks of like chaos and like ships passing in the wind or whatever that saying is, and uh, like we were at odds with each other. We don't even really know why we were at odds with each other, but we were at odds with each other. And so we woke up and we were like, well, our habit is to read together, pray together, and work out together. And I want to do all those things, but just not with each other. <laughs> and, uh, and we kind of woke up with that sense of attitude. Uh, we, we went to bed with it, and then we woke up with it. And, uh, and as I woke up and kind of forced, our, forced myself through the habit, I'm reading and, and whatnot. And, it, and there's this thought that hit me as I was reading uh, the Word of God and, and a, specifically a book, and uh, that God isn't distant. 
that while I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. That in the gospel of Jesus Christ, the distance that mankind wants to put with God is dissolved. That God became close. The word became flesh, as, as uh, it said in other passages. That the gospel message brings a closest to Jesus. And that here I am pursuing my wife, but being okay with distance because of my own sinful nature. And so the way that as I prayed, I wanted to resolve it with Ava was just to say, I'm not going to allow for distance. <laughs> We're going to work out together. We're going to pray together. We're going to do things together. And it all seemed to work itself out. When it comes to Sabbath, here's what I want to say. There's one, this is not the only way to think about Sabbath, but here's one way to think about it. What are your weekly habits with the word of God? How are you letting the word of God impact you on a daily basis? Okay, put that in your head. Think about that. Now, when you come to Sabbath, try to magnify those for a day. Sabbath is when we let the daily habits become a, become a day of habits, where we have those daily moments and it becomes a day of being uh, intertwined with God. And so if you don't have daily habits with the word of God, perhaps the conversation of Sabbath needs to start there. And once you establish those daily habits, then think about on the Sabbath day, how I can magnify those efforts. Because when you think about your weekends, during the week, do you spend time with friends? Probably here and there, it might be hit or miss, but they get some pockets of time. Your family gets some pockets of time. Your spouse gets some pockets of time. But then you go to the weekend, and the people that got pockets of your time during the week, you want to give them a lot of time on the weekend. And so when we learn to live a life all the time, 24-7 with Jesus, but, uh, but focus quiet times with Jesus, those moments with Jesus, we then enter the Sabbath day looking to give Jesus a whole day. And so we're going to give you, like we said, go deeper, or we're going to say, go deeper, guides on your way out to help you with those daily habits. Trust yields, uh, yields rest. We talked about it with through faith. We talked about it with urgency. And we talked about it through the word of God. If God can take what is formless and void in the book of Genesis and to fill it in six days, surely he can fill the chaos of your life in a matter of seconds. Why be overwhelmed with anything else but God? God invites you to a day of rest to live a life of being overwhelmed by your God. Hold on to your faith. Pursue your God with urgency and encourage one another through the sustaining word of God. This passage really uh, comes about because when I was starting this church uh, many moons ago at this point, uh, I was working many, 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 many hours, and my church planting coach uh, looked at me and said, Jason, you're a workaholic, and we don't glorify that. That's sinful. And, uh, and so uh, he, for homework, he said, I want you to read Hebrews chapter 4. Uh, then a month later, we got together over Zoom, and uh, we talked through Roman, uh, Hebrews chapter 4, and uh, we, we talked a little bit through it, and then we got to the end, and he asked me uh, an, uh, open, uh, a closed-ended question. In the coaching world, in the mentoring world, you're supposed to ask open-ended questions, get somebody talking. Uh, and he asked me a closed-ended question. We talked about Hebrews chapter 4, everything that we just read. And then he closed his proverbial Bible, looked at me through the screen and said, Jason, do you believe God? Are you willing to obey him? Closed-ended question. And it worked. <laughs> because the answer was no in, in, in how I pursued it. 
And so as we close out this series, I have a big, bold challenge for you in that same spirit. My challenge for you, not only for today, but also for this series, is one of two things that you have to do as we leave this series. Take Sabbath or confess sin. There's two roads before each of us. Are we going to trust our Jesus and take Sabbath as he's called us to take Sabbath? And if you, if you say no and you have free will, you can say no. Then you need to pause and you need to confess sin. So what we're going to do to close out this series is uh, those uh, nine questions that we uh, mentioned a few weeks ago. Uh, we're going to just end with a kind of a moment of silence and ask you guys to reflect about the series, reflect about uh, Sabbath, and look at those questions and maybe pick out one that you just need to pause and pray about to say, God, this guiding principle, guide me as I consider Sabbath. And, uh, and then we'll close with a song of worship and then Graham will, will get up. So we're going to take a moment of silence and, and of reflection. Look at these questions that will be on the screen. Reflect and pray. Father, as we go into a time of verbal worship, Father, I pray that through the song, and uh, I think we're singing the blessing, Father, as we realize um, your favor, your blessing that, that allows for rest, Lord, as we declare that, would, there, would, that also, would that declaration come with a commitment to live it out? Father, as I read that and I, and I think about, Lord, the, the, that I need to intentionally say no to things to create that space in my life to, to live freely before you, to bask that is, in all that is good with you. Father, help me to intentionally say no to things, to free up that day, taking where my morning walks with you becomes a, a day walking with you. Lord, thank you that you meet each of us, pastor, congregant alike, that we all fail to be exactly like your son, but you bring us knowledge to draw us closer, and I thank you for that grace. As we go into this last song, Father, would you move, would your spirit move in and through us? 
We love you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Let's sing.